morning, Saints at Advent, as well as uh, other folks that are listening to us here over our YouTube channel. Uh, today is the third Sunday of Easter. I pray that uh, you and your family are doing well, sheltering in place, uh, which continues. Um, so my family continues to be just fine, as well as Pastor Grady's, along with the rest of our essential workers here at Advent. Uh, everybody uh, so far uh, is is healthy. Um a couple of things I just wanted to address before we get into Bible class for today. Um, I know a lot of people are anxious to uh, return to normal, so to speak. Uh, we haven't heard anything yet from our governor here in Indiana about what the next phase will be to reopen the churches. We are waiting word on that as well. Some other states uh, have reopened churches. I was told this morning that Texas has now reopened for churches and they have set a number of 50 uh, people, uh, uh, of course, practicing social distancing and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm not sure what we're going to be, I guess, allowed or asked to do. Um, I do, of course, still uh, have some concerns with uh, uh, just we don't, want, we don't want to get anybody sick. We want to feed you. We want to care for you. We want to do all that. We want to do that in the best manner possible as well. So I know this is, is very difficult for all of us. Um, somebody asked me the other day if I had gotten used to preaching to a camera, and I said no, and I hope I never get used to that because that's, that's not really the best medium or the best way. It's face-to-face. -face, it's personal interaction. And so we're, we're in a little bit of an exile. Uh, we're in a little bit of a, a time away from that. But the Word of the Lord is still living and active for you and uh, very vibrant. So uh, continue with uh, your Bible study, your prayers, uh, continue catching services here. Um, please note as well, if you haven't uh, 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 made use yet of absolution, the sacrament, that we are continuing to do that. Uh, and just to review that process, so you know what to expect. Uh, the doors for the church are open. Uh, we are sanitizing everything. And you literally walk into church, uh, the only thing you, you touch is a piece of paper that's been printed, and you pick that up. That's the order of service. You'll come and stand in between the baptismal uh, font and the front of the church, and the pastor will actually be about 12 feet away, uh, back behind, and we'll do the service from there. We have a lot of people that are wearing PPE uh, to this, and that's perfectly fine, and, uh, and would certainly you know encourage you to do that. We're not going to require that. Uh, but uh, you can come. Uh, pastor then standing 12 feet away uh, will have uh, bread and wine that is, uh, of course, prepared safely, set out on a tray for you, and we will consecrate from 12 feet away uh, and feed you the Lord's body and blood and then send you on your way. Uh, we are just using the individual glass cups. Uh, I don't like it either, um, but uh, after you use that glass cup, that uh, cup is going in a bleach water bath, uh, and so... Uh, the, you know, you touch the bread, you touch the individual cup, that's it. Uh, and, you know, we're asking people not to touch anything else. The sheet of paper that you had that had the order of service, you drop in the trash can, and you go right back out the doors you came in. And that service takes about 10 minutes, so we really don't have people uh, passing each other. Um, don't come and stand in the narthex early to meet with people or talk with people, wait in your car until your time. Uh, and that's been working really well now for six weeks. So we've had between 150 to 200 uh, church members that have made use of that, um, and so just know that that's, that's available for you, okay? Um, it's also okay to patiently wait until we, you know, reopen, um, but, uh, uh, you know, I'll leave, I'll leave that with you. I'm not going to go any further with that, okay? Um, let's see. We had a wonderful donation, an anonymous donation that was given to us this last week, um, $10,000 towards the purchase of some audiovisual equipment, um, which means new cameras, computer, hardware, and software for our sanctuary. Right now, the way that we are broadcasting uh, our services to you, uh, if, you if you've come in for Absolute Sacrament, you've seen it. We've got a, a couple of tripods set up, and uh, we, we purchased a small, inexpensive camcorder, and we were uh, given two other cameras uh, that we're using as well. And we have wires hanging down from the balcony and network cables coming across. And obviously, if we open the church back up in some way, we can't have all these cables 
and stuff set up. It'd be a tripping hazard, probably a fire hazard. Um, and so um, what we'll be doing, we'll be installing some uh, PTZ cameras uh, around the sanctuary very discreetly, and that will allow us to then stream and record the services. Okay. Uh, please note that once we open back up, um, we may continue to stream down the road. I think this this whole pandemic thing is, is going to be a six to 12 month process with some people still sheltering in place. So even when we're allowed to quote open back up in some sort, we're still going to have people at home and we want to continue to stream the services. This generous gift will allow us to do that. So currently I'm working with some IT people, uh, folks from church uh, and outside uh, to look at the best equipment we can do for that. Um, the same anonymous donor had actually given us $5,000 this last year towards audiovisual equipment that we hadn't used yet. So we've got $15,000. that will take care of what we need to do. So just give thanks to God for that. Uh, don't ask me any questions about the donor or donors. Uh, just thank God for that wonderful gift and uh, know that we're working on that. So uh, that will enable us to, to do a little more long-term uh, setup uh, for recording and sermon. Okay, um, That'll be helpful down the road for weddings, possibly funerals, that sort of thing. Um, and please note that once we do open up, some people have expressed concern. We're not going to show pictures of your face over the Internet. <laughs> the cameras will be designed that they will just capture, kind of like what you see on Sunday, the pastors doing their work. Okay? If we have other special things, then we'll secure permission as need be, but we're not going to shoot you at the communion rail and that sort of thing. Not shoot you like that, shoot you with a camera. Okay, you know what I mean. Um, boy, any other announcements? I can't think of too much. There's about three weeks left of Sunday school. So hopefully, parents, you're taking advantage of the Sunday school lessons. Note as well that we are putting a preschool chapel uh, up each week on our YouTube channel. It's only about 10 minutes. Uh, so not just for our school families, but also Advent families. If you have kids in that age range, um, you know, little ones on up till six, seven, or eight, um, please uh, show them the, the, the chapel service. Um, not sure that we'll do too much different for summer Sunday school. Uh, the teachers are talking about that. If you have some ideas, contact uh, uh, one of the Amandas. Amanda Probst is kind of heading that up. Uh, but uh, if you have some ideas, uh, check with her as well. Pastor Grady and I, I also are talking about, um, he's thinking of starting a, a weekly Bible study that he will uh, record and do. We have not restarted the Leviticus study yet. Um, it's not a matter of ability for that. It's the, the, the real fun thing with the Leviticus Bible study is sitting in front of people and engaging in questions. And so I've been trying to decide, well, okay, we could pick that back up for you in your home. Or we can just set that aside and say, hey, back when we're able to gather together, we'll do that. And maybe in the meantime, we'll do something different. So, um, boy, any other questions that have popped up? I'll take any other questions that we may have for church here just briefly before we get into our Bible study. Uh, you can, there on your YouTube channel, uh, uh, jump in and ask a question. And if you're not catching us live right now, uh, feel free to email me, uh, text, or call me as well. Okay? Nada. Zip. Zilch. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. O God, through the humiliation of your Son, you raised up the fallen world. Grant to your faithful people rescued from the peril of everlasting death, perpetual gladness and eternal joys. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, we are picking up uh, with Professor Marquart, uh, finishing up here his book, The Saving Truth, Doctrine for Lay People. And in the book, we're on the bottom of page 141. This is kind of towards the end of chapter 8. And I'm going to pick up, actually, Matthias, uh, the, the paragraph before the quotes from Luther's, uh, for, from Augsburg Confession, when the Christian congregation. When the Christian congregation at a given place comes together, this is not to promote general uplift, community service, or social crusades, but to worship the risen and present Savior, and to receive, cherish, and transmit the saving power of his cross and resurrection. So the goal of church is not to gather together for food drives, for clothing drives, to tackle social issues. Um, it's not that it can't do that. It's that the primary reason for the church doing what she does is for uh, the saving power, Marquardt writes, of his cross and his resurrection. Okay? 
And this is referenced again and again, and again throughout the, the book of Concord, through our Lutheran confessions, uh, teach and preach uh, according to God's word, um, and administrate, administer the sacraments according to his institution. And that's where we get that short phrase, word and sacrament. That's the primary job of the church. So when you talk about worship service or what the church is supposed to concern herself with, it's word and sacrament ministry. Now on Sunday, uh, because the early church uh, did not give up meeting together on the Lord's Day, uh, they gathered every Sunday. Uh, They also celebrated communion every Sunday. Uh, That's the history behind that. Um, Even in the midst of this pandemic, we're still doing that. Even though there's only, you know, the essential people that are here and a few family members on Sunday morning, we are still gathering in this place. Service is still continuing. And you now are still able to receive uh, the power, uh, the saving uh, truth uh, of that gospel, of that word in your homes. Okay? Sacrament obviously has changed just a little bit. Of course, you live and die and live and die daily in your baptism. But then regarding the Lord's body and blood, that's where we have you know, gotten creative and set up these individual or household times for you to come in and receive the sacrament that way. Okay. So all those gifts are still there. That's still the primary work of the church. And that encompasses still the bulk of what Pastor Grady and I are doing during the week in terms of our preparation for the services, writing of sermons, um, and, and, and that. Okay, So that continues. Um, Marquardt continues. The church's solemn assemblies participate in the greatest mysteries in heaven and on earth, as with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven we laud and magnify his glorious name. So when we get in the divine service, and especially for the Sanctus, the holy, 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 we are recognizing that heaven is opened. And this is why we have chosen as pastors to continue to do the full divine service. Some churches are just doing what they would call a service of the word or the divine service without communion. Okay? In some respects, I don't see that a divine service without communion is really a divine service because divine service has always included communion. You have other uh, services that would be called prayer offices, matins, vespers, service of morning prayer, evening prayer, service of prayer and preaching. Um, Those are kind of all non-Sunday services, if you will. And so for us to stop doing the sacrament on Sunday, one, removes the benefit of the sacrament for those of us that are still gathered. Um, Two, we want you to know that heaven is still being opened. And even though you can't sit at home and have the Lord's Supper, you can still receive that same powerful word that is coming to you over your computers or your TVs. Make sense? And then you can receive the body and blood when you're able to come here uh, or wait patiently until that time. Okay? Some people we've talked to have told us that they were making their own bread or having little juice cups, and while they're watching the service then taking the Lord's Supper in their home, do not do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, and here's the reason. Okay, Number one... Uh, we can't see and control who is receiving and whether it's being, you know, done in a good way. So in Scripture, it speaks of oversight. Uh, the pastors, Paul writes, are stewards of the mysteries of Christ, and we can't be a steward of everywhere out there. We can't see what's going on in your home, okay? Um, secondly, you're apart from the rest of the body, um, and so wait patiently uh, or come to church then to receive those things. Um, So there's a little bit of a a Gnostic side of those things. Uh, If you want the Lord's Supper, we're still offering it. Sign up and come in and get it, okay? Uh, But don't pull bread out and put it in front of the TV. Um, That's that's not a a good practice, okay? And the the Missouri Synod has actually spoken to that. You do some research on lcms.org. They've actually recently addressed this because there's been some Missouri Synod churches that are actually encouraging that. And it's just not, it's not faithful practice because it's not good oversight, um, and uh, the other thing is when, uh, this would be the second thing, when the, when the pastor consecrates the elements, this bread, this cup, right? Not the bread and cup that's back on the credence table or that's back over here in the fellowship hall in the kitchen or that you might have in your purse or your grandma's handbag. This bread, this cup, okay? So to say that, that magically, wherever that word goes over the airwaves, uh, that, that all bread and wine then becomes body and blood of Jesus, that's, that's Gnostic. Uh, that's a whole other discussion. It, 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 it's not intended to work that way. It's intended to work in a small, intimate setting where people are gathered together. Okay? So enough about that. We have, we have a question that popped up. Nope, we did not. 
All right. Any questions from the audience in here? All good? Okay. Let's move on. So, the divine service continues. Heaven continues to be open for you, regardless of your, your physical situation uh, in, in life. It is frivolous, even sacrilegious, uh, Marquardt continues, to treat the awesome transactions between the Most Holy Trinity and his priestly people as useful publicity stunts for various worthy causes. Okay? Now, on this note, you might have noticed that I got a haircut. And the reason I got a haircut is that I normally wear a flat top, and I have a barber cut my hair for that. I cannot cut my own flat top. I've tried before. My hair was getting too shaggy, so I went back. This is my COVID cut, by the way. I went back to what I used to do in college and just zip, 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 take it off. My wife hates it. I love it. It's really, it's easy. I don't have to do anything to it. Uh, it feels good when I rub it. She doesn't like to touch it. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay, now, if I wanted to emphasize that, I could say, uh, put a YouTube video out there and say, Pastor will continue to shave his head as long as the offerings of the church uh, continue and we meet our budget or until the pile of donations for our seminary uh, fills up the entire narthex. And I won't let my hair grow, you know, and, and, and we emphasize that, and that becomes kind of the big thing. And I talk about it in sermons and announcements and Bible classes. Those would be publicity stunts, and that would become kind of the main thing of the church. Okay? The main thing of the church is word and sacrament. Can you still do some of those things? Sure. Okay. Um, if you want to make a donation to the church to keep my head bare, we'll gladly take your money. <laughs> but that's not the main thing we're going to be about. And that's not what we're going to publicize and put out there. We want to put the gospel out there. We want to administer the sacraments. Those need to be the main things. Here's the quote from the Augsburg Confession. Therefore, the two authorities, the spiritual and the temporal, are not to be mingled or confused. For the spiritual power has its commission to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments, right? That's Christ as sets at the right hand of God. This is the power and authority of God now through his church, okay? Now, his power, of course, extends over into the left-hand kingdom. Uh, and so in the left-hand kingdom, uh, that would be the uh, temporal area of authority, okay? Hence, it should not invade the function of the other, should not make or prescribe to the temporal power laws concerning worldly matters, so we have this constitutionally, the separation of church and state. And I know there's a lot of discussion about uh, have, has the state, not just of Indiana, have other states overstepped their bounds with doing requirements for the church about worship service or that sort of thing. Um, and I'm a little, a little gun shy with that. Uh, yes and no. Um, I do believe that our state governments and our federal government what they have put in place that affects us as churches is not persecution for what we believe. You got that? It's, it's not against our faith. It's for the, the public health and the good of the public. Okay? So as long as these matters are not contradictory to Scripture, then we should obey our authorities. Okay? Now, I do have an issue when a governor might say, this is how you should take communion or not take communion. I'm not sure that I think that gets kind of dangerous when you start getting into some of those those areas. Um, and so there, there needs to be some talking, you know, between the two. I have not received any contact from a governor, government official here in the state of Indiana asking me some of my opinions or thoughts on that, okay? Um, now, that doesn't upset me per se, but if we're going to talk about what the church should do, it seems like there should be an, an, a, an effort to give the church not only some input on that, uh, but also, you know, ask them to do things sometimes instead of telling them to do things, okay? Uh, but we know a little leaven leavens the whole bunch, and part of the problem is we've got some wacky pastors and churches that are doing some goofy things, and that's, that's unfortunate. It paints all of us as pastors and churches in a bad light, okay? Thus, uh, the confession continue. Our teachers distinguish the two authorities and the functions of the two powers, directing it both to be held in honor as the highest gifts of God on earth. So we are to honor our temporal authorities, and we are to honor our spiritual authorities. Okay? One is not necessarily above the other. They're different types of authority. What is set out here, Marquardt continues, is Luther's so-called doctrine of the two kingdoms. You've probably heard this before. This teaching is better termed that of the two governments, for it is one and the same king who rules bo both. 
right? So just as I have a, a large crucifix, you can't see it, but if you've been in our fellowship hall, you know what's above me. You know, Jesus is Lord over all. Underneath then, if you want to draw a flow chart for yourself, you know, you've, you've got the, uh, the, the civil realm, the temporal government, if you will, and you would have the church, okay? Now, what Marquardt's not going to get into here that I would add would be the third leg to that stool, okay? So it's not just the uh, temporal uh, and spiritual. I would also add to that, and this is big on Scripture, familial or household, okay? Luther talks a lot about these three fathers or omps, three offices, that of the, the, church, uh, the, the state, the temporal, the household, and that would be the husband or the father, okay? And then the church, which would be spiritual, okay? So we don't want to neglect that too. I'm not sure why Marquardt didn't insert that here. He probably didn't want to get off topic like I do every Sunday, okay? Uh, if one has understood the radical difference between law and gospel in the Bible, then one cannot avoid what this difference entails, namely a radical distinction between the spiritual and the civil or political realms. So there is a difference between these two realms. And part of the challenge I think we have in the church today uh, is one trying to look like the other or, or the church trying to do things the way the, the, the state does them. And that, that can be very dangerous. Yet there are those who believe that this distinction is mischievous, indeed that it was, quote, the greatest disaster in all the history of ethics. Uh, and there's a quote there from William Barclay, Ethics in a Permissive Society from 1971 that Marquardt quotes, since it supposedly led from Luther ultimately to Hitler in his concentration camps. The argument is that restricting the express rule of God's word to the church and letting the state be governed by reason alone gives the state a false independence from moral accountability. Okay? Um, so there's some interesting history on you know, how far uh, can we, we go with the separation of church and state. Where's too far? Where's not enough? I remember my dad as a young boy uh, talking quite a bit about uh, the, uh, th- this would be back in the Jimmy Carter days and what happened after that with the Christian Coalition and, uh, and, and the rise of the 700 Club, um, and uh, I don't want to get too much into the politics of it, but we certainly have had this interesting mix, even here in America, of, okay, if we can get Christians in all these positions, then they can, you know, introduce more of God and more of church, um, and you got to be careful with that, because that's, that's not the primary job of a politician, Okay. So you can have a politician, regardless of party, that God will not only use to serve his people, uh, but that politician should be held account for doing that job. Okay? Can you have a Christian in that position? Sure. Can you have a non-Christian? Sure. Um, but the ultimate goal is, what, what's, what's the vocation? And what, what, it, what is that, that called to do? Okay? So if you're about spreading the gospel, well, then you probably you know, if you're a man, need to go to seminary and become a pastor or missionary. <laughs> you know, spreading the gospel is not the primary job of a senator or a representative or even a governor. Might you have opportunity to share a little bit of your faith? Yes, but that's not the primary job. Does that make sense? And so we, we have to, to kind of be careful, and that, that's, what, that's what Marquardt is getting at here. Uh, he goes on next paragraph, okay? Such a colossal misreading of the real intent and import of the two kingdoms doctrine calls for comments along several lines. In the first place, it is surely worth noting that unlike his Roman Catholic and Reformed opponents, Luther in principle rejected religious persecution. The church he held could be defended only with spiritual weapons, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, and no one could or should be compelled by force to profess this or that faith. So we know part of the challenge with the Crusades of forced conversion, of trying to reclaim uh, the Bible lands, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, be careful with that. Some of that has continued this day uh, for Christians supporting the nation-state of Israel. Uh, and, of course, there's some, some Zionism involved in that, a belief that Christ will return, uh, you know, uh, post-rapture. Uh, and establish a, a, a kingdom on earth, and he's going to rule from Jerusalem again, and that's all false, by the way. And so, therefore, we need to keep the, uh, you know, we need to keep Jerusalem and the Temple Mount and that sort of thing in Jewish hands rather than Muslim hands, and yada yada yada, uh, and 
don't get into that, okay? Uh, first of all, it's contrary to what Scripture says, uh, but that also involves a mixing of, of, the, of these two realms, okay? Any questions yet? Hey, yes! I've been trying to bait you with, with uh, how I've been saying things to get some questions. Let's see. What do we got? Hold on. Let me, let me read it so people in the camera can hear. I said that the primary job of a politician is not to express their religious views upon others, Okay, what about those who say we need to evangelize all of our neighbors? Okay, so uh, so it sounds like you you agreed with with what I said there that the primary job of a politician is not to promote their faith or their beliefs. Their primary job is to serve. I would certainly stand by that uh, constitutionally and scripturally. Okay, what about those who would say it's our primary job to evangelize our neighbors? How does evangelism take place? What does Scripture say? Scripture says, faith comes from hearing the word of God, right? And the word is the message of Christ. To whom has been given the preaching and teaching of God's holy word? Church or state? Church. So the primary job of the church is to evangelize and to do it through the means that God has given, which is the public speaking, preaching of his word, as well as the administration of the sacraments, okay? That's why the Lutherans were first called uh, 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 evangelists, if you will, or evangelical. Evangelical is oiangelion is the Greek word that means gospel. It means good news. Okay? So uh, Luther was not about saying, okay, everyone's a minister, everyone's a person. Church, you know, you, you go and evangelize your neighbor and each one reach one. And there's been so many different efforts at that. The church continues to do its work. As you have opportunity to speak about your faith to your neighbor, yes, do that. But is that your primary job to evangelize your neighbor? And the answer is no. Your primary job is to live in the vocation God has given you. If you're a mother or a father, you need to focus on being a mother or father first. And then fill in the blank from there. Husband, wife, and then husband and wife first. Then mother, father. Sorry, I got that backwards. Uh, And then after that, whatever your vocation is in terms of your training. Engineer, uh, nurse, um, you know, fast food worker, delivery driver, truck driver, you name it. That's your primary job. So you do your vote. That's what you want to know what makes God happy is when you do what you've been given to do first. To individual Christians has not been given that task of evangelizing all of your neighbors. Okay, And uh, this would be a fun Bible study to go into and look at Scripture on that. The church is called to do that. Okay, Can the church help train you for those discussions and teach you to dialogue, uh, give you some skills uh, for speaking about your faith? Absolutely. And the church should certainly do that. But the church also has to be very careful. It's not about turning you into missionaries. The church exists for that. And that's, that goes back to what Mark Hart's talking about. What's the primary job of the church? Preach, teach, and administer the sacraments. That's in our Lutheran confessions. Okay. Um, so any follow-up question on that one? Nope. Okay. Um, and that, again, that, that's why we're talking about that separation between church and state. So in your vocation, do what you've been called to do. Um, do that first. Okay, um, and certainly continue to be a Christian. But if your primary job in your workplace is trying to tell people about Jesus, you're not doing your primary job. If you're an accountant and instead of balancing books for your clients and giving them proper advice, you're spending most of your time trying to figure out how you can tell them about Jesus, you're not doing your job. Period. So live in your vocation. You know, and that's why Scripture says, people will see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. They'll see your good work in your vocation. Okay? Now, we should always be ready to have a reason for the hope that lives within us okay? um, and be ready to do that. But that's not a primary task. Okay? Think of a public school teacher. I don't, I don't want to beat this horse too much more, but you know, public school teachers uh, can answer questions about their faith, but of course cannot promote one faith over the other. Can you still have Christian school teachers in a public environment? We have a lot of them here at Advent Lutheran Church, and they're wonderful people of great faith. Um, and I'm sure when they've had the opportunity, they've, they've spoken to that faith, but that's not their primary job as a teacher. Okay, Moving on. Such a colossal uh, misreading of the real intent and import of the two kingdom doctrines calls for comments along several lines. In the first place, it's surely worth knowing that unlike his Roman Catholic and Reformed opponents, 
Lutheran principle rejected religious persecution. The church he held could be defended only with spiritual weapons, and no one could or should be compelled by force to profess this or that faith. Second, by reason, Luther did not mean simply calculating ability or IQ, as modern readers are likely to assume. He meant rather a discipline of mind grounded in man's moral nature, which even after the fall recognizes certain basic decencies implanted in creation. And can you pull up Romans 2, 14 to 15 in that? So one thing that Scripture does teach us is that in, in each human being, uh, God has, has written law uh, upon our hearts. Okay, uh, He's given us a conscience. And so uh, obviously many people um, ignore that. Okay, So that's part of the reality. Romans 2, 14 to 15, you got it up there? And I'm going to start reading at verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, right? So sin is sin. Whether you recognize it or not, it's still sin. And and this was something that, um, you know, I I wrestled with as a young man uh, when I learned that certain behaviors, you know, thoughts or whatever were sinful. Um, You know, I was like, oh, well, I wish I didn't know about that because then it wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> well, that's not true. Uh, sin is sin whether you're aware of it or not. And so that, that's part of the whole concept of God's word being a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Uh, it sheds light now in dark places. Um, verse 13, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, let's not get too far along works righteousness here. Listen to what Paul's writing. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they a law to themselves, even they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So can you have unbelievers uh, who would do good works? Absolutely. If you listen to the service today, I talked a little bit about Ezekiel, um, a wonderful uh, uh, prophet. Um, and uh, when at the end of the exile there uh, of the southern of Judah, when they returned back, that, that was all thanks to the edict of King Cyrus. King Cyrus, not a believer. Did God use him to restore God's people to their homeland? Um, and at the same time fulfill some of what Ezekiel prophesied? He sure did. So God can use unbelievers in that. So there are, there are good works there. Uh, there is law that is, is written on the hearts. There is a moral code. Now, this is where our society today really bulks and has gone contrary to that in a very postmodern way. The law is what you make of it, my friend, they would say. Whatever you want to believe is truth is up to you. You write your own truth which leaves, obviously, our, our courts uh, in a difficult position. How do we base, you know, moralism and morality? And I don't want to get too heady here for some of you, uh, but for us as Christians, we would come back to the law that God has given, first and foremost, the Ten Commandments. And that's why uh, we teach that. We have you memorize it from the small catechism. That is the best summary of the law, Okay. Two tables of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Table uh, number two, love your neighbor as yourself. So you've got first and one through three commandments and four through six. Or if you grew up learning a different order, you know, you understand uh, your relationship with God, your relationship with your neighbor, okay? And they don't exist separate from each other. It's, It's all together, okay? Any comments on that? Third, uh, Marquardt continues, a clear-cut distinction between something like a minimal public morality and the more comprehensive moral requirements of particular religions is, in fact, the only workable scheme in modern pluralistic societies. Okay? So Marquardt is saying, hey, we need to have, there needs to be some sort of a distinction. Um, I have some friends who uh, served not just in the military but also as workers um, uh, overseas in uh, both Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan. And when you talk about Sharia law, uh, difference between uh, Shia, Shiites and Sunnis, um, and you know, <laughs> trying to understand how other governments or cultures 
you know, how religion has either had too much to do with the politics, you know, or vice versa. Um, you know, that that's it's it's interesting conversation when you start to look at okay, you know, what 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 is where does our moral ground come from? What is, what is the center of morality and what is right and wrong? Okay. Um, and and how does that happen in the civic realm? Okay, um, and and I think those are those are very good questions. For us as Christians, obviously, we would come back to God's word. But we what we also learn from God's word is that there is law written on heart on hearts. So regardless, you may be a believer or an unbeliever, but if you are a human being, you have law from God written on your hearts. You have a conscience. Okay, um, and so. <laughs> That, that brings up a whole other host of, of questions according to Scripture. Okay? So third, a clear-cut distinction between something like a minimal public morality and the more comprehensive moral requirements of particular religions is in fact the only workable scheme in modern pluralistic societies. So abortion, for instance, and pick up here what Mark Quart is laying down, so abortion ought to be outlawed not because it is a sin against God, which it is, think Fifth Commandments, but because it is a crime against humanity. Think about that one. So basically, what, what we in the United States, what our court system has said with Roe v. Wade, uh, in essence is um, a woman has power and authority over the baby or the fetus. It's her property. Okay. Well, let's apply that to, say, animals. Okay. Um, I've got a whole mess of rabbits under my deck. Now, um, would that be wrong of me to uh, <laughs> take my 22 and go out under my deck and shoot them? Yeah. Why? Well, one, discharge of firearms within the city of Zionsville. Okay. Uh, number two, uh, what's the state and uh, the state say in terms of season for rabbit hunting? Because it's outside of the season, then then you can't do that. Okay, so we have rules and laws that protect even the baby bunnies. Okay, uh, look up uh, what you know all the different animals that are protected. Right, so if I find an eagle's nest and I go take some eagle's eggs to make myself a nice eagle omelet, is that allowed? No, of course that's not. There'd be a huge fine, possibly even jail. So think through this but we can abort babies left and right. You want to talk about how many people, um, you know, are killed each day. You know, we've been looking at the COVID stuff and all that. You Google how many people die, how many babies, and I say people because they're, they're humans. Life begins at conception. How many people are allowed to be killed each day by abortion? You look at those numbers. You want to be totally aghast at what the morality of our society allows? That's a good place to start. Okay, and then look at how people get up in arms if you you know, abuse a dog, or not only that, you, you, you go get a, an eagle egg for breakfast, okay? So, <laughs> uh, did, that, did that spark any comments? Nothing? Okay. So, so, abortion, for instance, ought to be outlawed, not because of sin against God, which it is, but because it is a crime against humanity. Now, the principle is very clear when applied to acts like theft, robbery, or murder. All such acts are regarded as wrong by most religions. Yet it would be silly to argue that therefore governments may not treat these acts as crimes lest the religious freedom of a religious people be violated. Okay, anything? Nope. Fourth, separation of church and state does not mean separation of religion and politics. Let me, really, let me re read that again. And this is kind of a follow-up to what we were talking about earlier. Separation of church and state does not mean separation of religion and politics. Christians, after all, live in both realms, right? So even as an ordained Missouri Synod pastor, um, I am a U.S. citizen. I'm a proud U.S. citizen. Are there things about our country that I don't like that I would like to change? Yes. But at the same time, am I very thankful for the freedoms that we have? Yes. I fly my flag frequently uh, at our house throughout the year, um, recognize and give thanks uh, for those that serve us. Uh, I pray uh, for our politicians, for our leaders, for those that serve in all branches of our, of, our of our government, whether I like them or not, whether I'm of the same party uh, as them or not. Um, that, that is part of being a Christian um, and a U.S. citizen at the same time. Okay? And we need, we need to make sure we understand that. Okay? 
Um, under modern democratic arrangements, citizens have a share in the authority described in Romans chapter 13 and bear responsibility for how it is exercised, okay? Which means I, I hope that you're voting and I hope that you're using some of the rights and the wonderful freedoms that we have in this country that people in other countries around the world do not, okay? I understand if you, you, you might get a little fed up, you know, with politics and those sorts of things, but, uh, you know, be an active citizen as best you can, okay? Uh, Christian citizens, therefore, have the clear obligation to use their political, economic, and social power for the well-being of their fellow human beings and not simply for their own advantage. And that would go back to my comments about Christian coalition and otherwise. And, and, the, and there were, and, and you know, you got to be careful with stereotypes here, so don't, don't take me too far on that. There's been some very good Christian leaders, even Lutheran ones, that have been part of our government. And, and, and I, I don't believe that, you know, their, their, their underlying base intent was to get power, okay? There have been those that have sought that, okay? And so if I counsel anybody, we've got some young folks in college and, you know, are thinking about civil service or that sort of thing, um, you know, becoming lawyers or judges and that. Yes, we, we need Christians in those positions, but go into those positions um, doing it to help your neighbor, not to get Lutheranism or Christianity a leg up in terms of power and authority. So this the church must teach, Marquardt says. Exactly which public policies would best ensure the neighbor's welfare, though? And I think that's the question. This question must be settled in the public arena. Wisdom, and let me, let me walk that back just a little bit, okay? I think that's a fair question, and I do think our governor has done a good job. Uh, and we've got some people here from church that have been involved at the state level. Thank you uh, for all that you've done this has been a difficult time. Um, I know not always decisions are popular or people agree with things. You know, leaders have to step up and do that. And that takes a lot of work behind the scenes. And so, you know, I greatly uh, appreciate and applaud the work that I see being done here in the state of Indiana uh, for the good of our neighbor and, and to help people and to protect things. I don't believe there's been power moves you know, I, I don't feel that as a pastor that the, the, the state of Indiana, we've got power and authority over you churches, we're going to tell you what to do. That, that has not come out that way, okay? Um, I, 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 I don't feel that way. So if you're buying into some of that, just, just be careful with that. Um, understand that, that leaders in the political realm, uh, that civil realm, should always be serving for the good of the neighbor, okay? And sometimes, even though we don't agree with things... <laughs> For the sake of brotherly love, or uh, as Paul writes, we bear with one another in love. Okay, so we become patient uh, and 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 kind. Um, and what else can I say about that? Okay, so wisdom, historical understanding, prudential judgment, technical information, strategic analysis, and many other complex factors enter into such decisions. Here the church's church has neither competence nor warrant to pontificate, which means it's not my job to tell you all the stats of what's going on with COVID-19. Um, it's not my job to weigh in on all those opinions of the governor. Um, my job is to continue, our job is to continue to be your pastors, to be the bride of Christ giving you God's word. That's the primary job. Um, and, and not to say, well, the state should be doing this you know, one way or the other. Okay. I've had a couple of letters I've thought about writing, you know, to the governor and, uh, and suggestions on that. And, and, you know, there's just so much other information, meetings that I'm, that I'm not privy to. Um, and so I think if I were to write a letter to our governor right now, I'd, I'd thank him for his hard work and his diligence. Um, I would encourage him to continue to keep us churches in mind because the spiritual well-being of people, the emotional well-being, that which faith provides is so important. And so I would like him to speak a little bit more about that rather than just uh, the, the physical side of the effects of that, okay? So I would encourage him in that regards, okay, and the other leaders uh, to, to be a, a little more open about that, okay? Um, and uh, Indiana's a <laughs> – uh, I'm a Hoosier now. I've been here a year and a half. So I guess, you know, we Hoosiers, uh, you like me saying that? Uh, you know, with we Hoosiers predominantly, we, we, we are people of faith. 
Um, and, and Christianity is a, a very large, dominant religion here in the state of Indiana. And so um, I think that, that, that need for the gifts of God, word and sacrament, are very important. How can we go about doing that? I'm going to let the experts help a little bit with some of that, but I would also ask that they respect some of what we do as church and help us find ways to do that that are safe. Okay. Uh, fifth, and we're going to finish up here. I think we're getting close. Any questions? Nope. The most important reason for keeping the spiritual and the political realm strictly distinct is the overriding need to keep the gospel, that one thing needful, right? Uh, so, so Luke uh, ten forty two. You know that 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 precious gospel, right? So Martha, 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 right? Not the Brady Bunch, but Mary and Martha. Uh, you know, Martha's, uh, uh, you know, busy in the kitchen, and she's doing all the, getting all the, the tea set out and the little cookies uh, and everything for Jesus' visit to her home. And, and, and Mary is just, just soaking up the gospel, you know, because Jesus is there to teach. And Martha chides Mary, you know, Mary, you know, you need to come help me, you know, wash the dishes and do all that. And and, and Jesus confronts Martha and says, this is the one thing, you know, needful, um, you know, the, the, the word. So her Lord and Savior is here. Don't, don't take that away. And so I think for, for us, that's what's needful as well. We need the word of God. We need the sacraments. Yes, we've had to get creative, but you're still getting those. You're still receiving those through this medium. So be thankful for that. You know, be patient uh, and make sure that that's part of your daily life uh, and your weekend as well. Okay. Um, so, question? Yeah. Hold on. When, I'm repeating it back because they can't hear your question. Give me the first phrase. When the platforms of all the major political parties include policies that are unchristian or outright against Scripture, how does one reconcile the conscience for the casting of vote for either party? Ooh, good question. Do you remember when we talked last week uh, and the week before about uh, entrusting you know, to God uh, you know, that provision, your faith should always say, God is yet at work, okay? Does it feel sometimes that you have to choose the, the, the lesser of two evils? Sure. Is that any different from your daily life? Don't you have some things where you don't like either option you have or the options in front of you? Neither of them are, the, are what would be, you think would be the best, but you have to figure out what's going to be the best in the midst of that. I would say voting's a little bit like that. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't voted for many candidates. I mean, I'm 40. What am I? 46. Uh, so I've I've been voting for since I was 18. So you do the math. <laughs> what is that? 28 years? I don't know. Um, I've had very few candidates that I'm really agree with completely. Um, you know, do, do, do I vote just because I'm 100% on board? No. Um, I have things that, that, that with my God-given reasoning and my faith that are important to me, and I vote according to that. And I think that's what you have to do as well. Okay? Otherwise, you end up with a system where nobody's exercising their right because unless I'm 110% on board with that candidate, I'm not voting for anybody. Well, I would simply ask, how does that relate to the rest of your life? It doesn't. And so you have to trust God is yet at work and going to provide, and you are given an opportunity, you know, to, to be a voice and to be a conscience, uh, you know, or to follow your conscience and do that. Um, would I respect you if you say, I can't vote either way? Yes, I would. Um, you know, but then you're, you're getting down the lines of kind of conscientious objector, uh, and that's an interesting discussion that we'd have to have another time, because you're still a citizen, so you still need to participate and and, and Take a take take a place in that, um, because we do live in a sinful world, and it's never going to be perfect. Okay, uh, Dr. Nagel, one of my beloved professors, uh, uh, now resting from his labors in heaven, you know, would always say, "Theology is messy. Deal with it." And I would also add to that, along the lines of Dr. Nagel, politics is messy. Deal with it. <laughs> and the older you get, the more you, you you kind of understand that. Okay, let's finish up this paragraph. Any other questions or follow up? Okay, uh, and then we'll be done. So fifth, the most important reason for keeping this spiritual and physical realm strictly distinct is the overriding need to keep the gospel free and uncompromised in the church. So one of the things that we want to make sure is that we can continue to preach, teach, and administer the sacraments. And thanks be to God, you know, we have that 
rights here in the United States. Um, some of you have traveled around the world and you've seen where the government has put policies in place that doesn't allow people to preach, teach, or administer the sacraments, and the church has to be underground uh, or is in danger of that. Thankfully, we don't have that there. We need to continue to make sure that that freedom, guaranteed by our Constitution, continues to be in place. Okay? Uh, violent political passions are injected into the churches today, all in the name of world improvement. They do not belong there. Political theology repeats the terrible cry for Barabbas, the liberation front terrorist of his day. And I preached a little bit about Barabbas, I think, uh, back during Holy Week. Uh, this man stood for something more practical and relevant than Jerusalem's prince and king of peace. Who offered only liberation from sin, Satan, eternal death? Jesus did. So the Jerusalem from above, our spiritual mother, is the holy bride of Christ, arrayed in the royal garments of salvation. It would be mockery to force upon her the uniform of a moral night watchwoman constantly out to police the state, right? So let the state, let the civic realm be the civil realm. Let the church be the church. Let the household, the family, be the family. Um, and, uh, you know, in various ways, I would say all three of those are under attack uh, in, in various ways. <sighs> Let me know, email me or call me if you have any other further questions. Uh, there's obviously a lot of detail that Mark Ward doesn't uh, uh, get into. He just kind of glosses and drops it on us. So uh, hopefully that's helpful. And uh, just encourage you to continue as you, as you are a citizen at this time and place. Pray for your leaders. Please pray for them. I, I know you're praying for us as pastors. You know, pray for our governor, whether you're of his party or not. Uh, pray, pray for all our people that, that are serving us uh, in the public realm. Um, and, and, and be patient, uh, be loving, be kind, um, and uh, you have a good shepherd who will provide for you. Okay? Anything else? All right. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Peace be with you.